coach and a therapist walked out of a bar looking to stir up some trouble. Even though life in the bar was fun, they thought life outside the bar would be even better. Together they created some sober nonsense. Hey, welcome to Sober Nonsense. I'm Teresa. Today I will be uh, sharing some insight about alcohol autonomy, but Melissa is here. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in our second episode. And hey, thanks for having Grace with us as we kind of navigate this new platform. Uh, we are kind of learning as we go, um, but we're super excited to be here with you today. So today is going to be a topic show. And so that's something that we have each kind of uh, identified topics that we would like to share with the community and maybe foster some new insight, give you a fresh perspective and always add a little hope. And as you know, having other possibilities to explore is my mantra for hope. So we will get started unless you have any questions first, Melissa. No, I'm just play? excited to jump in. I know today's topic is autonomy, um, and I really have no idea like what that means for you, maybe a little bit, but uh, you know, I'm just showing up here today, so I'm excited to jump right in. So tell us, what, what does this mean? What, tell us about this topic of autonomy. Well, let's talk about, you know, where did it come from? Autonomy is something that has ebbed and flowed into uh, our society's vocabulary for a long time. Sometimes it's in, sometimes it's not. Right now, it seems to be come, making a comeback. What I, how I found autonomy was through doing an archetype uh, test assessment, like what my archetype is. And my archetype, I thought for sure would be rebel because that's something that has always spoken to me. I always go against the grain. I always question everything. And if I don't like something just because everybody else is doing it, I don't mind giving you the finger and walking away. I love just that. <laughs> yeah. And I would think you as a rebel or I would kind of pin you as a rebel too. So what were you when you took this archetype test? That which completely floored me. I was the explorer. Ooh, sober explorer. Yeah. And so, uh, what an explorer kind of really embodies is that sense of adventure, that sense of curiosity and freedom and something you've probably already picked up on in our last conversation is fr freedom is important to me, but what does freedom mean to me? And that's always having a choice, whether I like the choices or not, but I always have the choice. So I'm always the one that's in control. That's how I experience freedom. That's how I feel about freedom. And I was dissecting that today because it's like a lot of people choose freedom. A lot of people say, I want freedom, but what does that mean? Like for What's instance, what, what would freedom mean to you as somebody thinking about freedom as a value? I think that's interesting too. When you talk about freedom, it can really get rolled into the whole patriotic, you know, uh, you know, kind of vibe. Um, but freedom is so important to me. And I think a big part of that is freedom of attachments in the way where attachments feel restrictive. Mm -hmm. um, so when it comes to alcohol, right? Like uh, feeling like I wouldn't have a choice or that um, I had no power, or that alcohol had a power over me. 
um, mm-hmm. is very, uh, there's no freedom in that. Right. You're, you're really a prisoner. But what I'm going to do, what I want to share with you today is how the whole alcohol free industry kind of still keeps those shackles on you. You still don't have quite the autonomy that many of us crave. And they find even in the corporate world or in medical that when we have a sense of autonomy, like we have a freedom to self-direct that we are more successful. Oh, a hundred percent more successful. There's, um, there's more joy. We, it's really a sense of reclaiming our power. It really is because we're the ones making the choices, right? So when you go into these sober communities and they're saying, well, you can drink or you can't drink, but they're holding this golden ring saying abstinence is best. That's, that's, that's what you really want. And then you have to ask yourself, is that really what I want? Or is that what I want? Because that's what the group wants or group identifies as success. And so that's where autonomy came in for me as freedom is that I am sober. I don't drink. I'm alcohol free for almost 20 years because I don't want to drink. It's not because I can't drink. And that's the difference in the autonomy piece. And I heard it best described like, let me find, because I had to write it out, the whole description of it. Well, and if I can, while you're, while you're looking for that, you know, if I can add in too, you, you haven't drank for 20 years because you don't want to, but because you're doing other fun stuff. Right? It's not as if in these 20 years you've been thinking about, oh my gosh, I can't drink. You know, I mean, has, how much has drinking been a focus of your 20 years of sobriety? Not at all. I don't think about, other than helping others try to shake the idea, the culture, we have, de- we have designed a culture around making alcohol the focus, whether you're drinking it or you're trying to abstain from it, but alcohol still holds the control. And so that's why I've started the, that's why I started the work that I did over 10 years ago for coaching women around alcohol is to stop thinking about the drinking. And something that you just said was that I find other fun things to do. I do find other things, fun things to do, but I have just as much heartbreak and pain as anybody else. I've had crushing events in my life to where there's no way in hell that I don't want to feel that and go through the process that I can feel from it faster. I know life is ebb and flow. I know, as Abraham Lincoln says, this too shall pass. But I have a choice of whether I pass through it cleanly or I drag the shit out and keep picking at the wound. Wow. And if you're drinking to get through it, you're picking at that wound, you're letting it fester, and it's not going to heal as fast. You are picking at the wound. And also to reframe that this is so um, embedded in our culture too. So I was on this kind of sober, curious journey. I remember for my 39th birthday. So this was four years ago. And so, you know, what was really important to me is I want to have a freaking awesome time without alcohol. So I, we went tree climbing for my birthday party. I invited, you know, like 10 of my best friends, adults, 
we um, went into a nature, you know, kind of a nature preserve and we went tree climbing, which was so much fun. Laughed, right? It was exciting. Um, I still laugh at my husband who could barely tree climb. So he made it like six feet off the ground and hung out there the whole time. I have images of him. Um, So I had a really good time. But then I remember, you know, there were a couple of people. It was like, well, we're going to have a couple of drinks afterwards. Right. And I was like, if you need to, sure. You know, so we picnicked afterwards. I wasn't drinking, you know, but I really wanted to focus on just having a good time with my friends in nature and um, doing something new. But it was just interesting of trying to set the stage of doing something without alcohol. That was part of my autonomy of like, this is important to me. And yet I think it's really embedded culturally too, of like, well, how can we have a birthday party without having a celebratory drink? Oh gosh, I remember that so well. I remember how do you have fun without alcohol? I remember when I was drinking, I didn't want to be around anybody who didn't drink. They were a buzzkill. So now I was going to be that buzzkill. Well, and that's the thing. You don't have to be a buzzkill. I mean, you can be the funnest person there. I think, I know when I go out and, you know, if I'm, I'm setting an intention of not drinking in a social scene, I often have to put on my intention of like, I'm going to have a lot of fun. Because if I don't, it's easy to kind of, you know, I don't know, maybe not feel sorry for myself, but start to feel awkward as people get a little drunk or they're drinking and I don't. So I have to put this cap on of like, I'm having a good time and let's go. Well, that's making the decision and having that intention, right? And that's important in sobriety. And we do need to be intentional about who we are, how we want to experience life and what we want to do with it. So to have that intention, there's nothing wrong with that, but to white knuckle it and say, I can't drink, I can't drink, I can't drink. And then feel like, you know, everybody's expecting me to drink and everybody else wants to drink. And are the, am I going to bring them down because I'm not drinking? That's not fun. And it doesn't feel good. And that's where we start falling into the, I want to make it, that was my role. I want to make everybody feel comfortable around me. So I'm going to drink. And that was the one time that I had a drink after in January of 2003, I stopped drinking And because my ex, Prince Harming, who I refer to in Holy Sober, he wanted to, he wanted to drink. And so he knew the chances of me having a drink was to get my sister and my brother-in-law over to the house because that's what we did. That was our pastime. And sure enough, by the time before the evening ended, I felt like they were all waiting for me to drink. So I said, fuck it. And I had a drink. Mm-hmm. That was the only time I've had a drink in, since January of 2003. But my wow. my last drink was uh, March 3rd of 2003. Can I? So here, I'm gonna. I want to hijack the topic real quick. I know this is your topic, but I want to ask. I want you to share with the li- listeners what you were doing earlier today, because I I think that's so cool. Uh, you shared briefly what you were doing when you got up early today. Um, yeah, you're like, what are you talking about, Melissa? Um, but I just think that relates to autonomy because it's like you're out doing your thing. So um, to put you on the spot a little bit. Yeah. And so I think, and I want to tie a couple different things into it, was that um, I got up. At, I didn't set an alarm or anything, never use an alarm. I got up around 3, 34 o'clock this morning. And we have the lunar eclipse. And so I went out moonwalking. And I found the darkest street I could find and I videotaped it and 
just as the moon, as I videotaped probably the last five minutes where the moon was being completely eclipsed. And you actually saw the eclipse. You got up to see the moon bathing in the eclipse. And it was, holy cow. Before I got out there, I was like trying to find some wisdom, some guru to tell me what, how I should appreciate this moment. And then I finally said, fuck it. I'm just going to be with me and the universe and we're going to do this thing. And so I didn't listen to anything at first until after I witnessed the eclipse. And then I um, played my playlist and it brought up the first song was really cool, which was return to self or return to innocence by Enigma. Um, but the interesting—that's a, about- a '90s throwback for you, huh? <laughs> but I love that chanting in it, and I love the words. And if you ever watch the video, it's where we were born, and then it goes through our life cycle and how we die and return to self. Oh, I've never seen the video. Okay, we'll have to link it in the show notes. That I've never seen the video. I need to tune in. It sounds awesome. So the interesting thing is, you know, this all sounds kind of woo-woo, and I'm very hardcore Christ follower. I love my Jesus. But I don't, but that that's maintaining my autonomy in Jesus. That's attaining, I don't care what they say I'm supposed to do or whoever, the church, whatever. I live my life according to my self-direction, what is right with me, what is right within my soul. And that's autonomy. So when I want to do something, I do it. And I don't check in with other people to say, should I do it? Or what will people think? Or is this popular? It's no, this is what my heart's calling this for. This is what my heart's, well, and I, I love that you and I are both called to the moon so powerfully, but in different ways. So, you know, I kind of dabble in astrology um, and that helps me make meaning of life events, what's going on, you know, um, macro level, what's going on personally in my world. And so I can get really pulled into that with astrology. And I love that you have your own connection to the moon. Um, and, and I, and not to minimize this, I think it can be seen as woo woo or, or just, you know, I don't know, I don't know what you would describe it, but for me, it's quite powerful. It helps make meaning of, um, of what's going on. And for me, it's, it's really supportive. For me, it's more of, um, I can always tell when I'm in the space of growth and learning and curiosity, true curiosity. Wait, pause there. You're always in a space of growth and learning from the short time I've known you, or is that not right? That's not true. I am, I'm always in the place of being willing to learn whatever I'm, whatever process I'm going through. But that doesn't mean I'm actively learning. And right now I'm in a space of actively learning, curious, hunger, craving, more information, more expansion. But the, but I'd say even the, oops, even the last six, seven months since we decided to move across country, I was not in that active pursue and pursuit of expansion. I was more of a closed, restrictive learning from the process, just being still, being still. That That's a perfect way of saying it. I've been in, in a state of stillness so I can pay attention to what my thoughts, where my thoughts are coming from, 
what are my emotions are coming from? What am I truly feeling? I know this feels, I feel sad, but why do I feel sad? Because I have a lack of community. Is having a lack of community okay right now? And getting very curious and being honest with myself, having that honest conversation, I think that is so powerful. And it's very important in being a wholly sober creature is to be able to have that real raw conversation with yourself and, and be able to identify what you're truly feeling, what you're really thinking and where you are right now. And it's okay to be still for a moment. It's okay. We, it's okay to be are, still. I'm so glad. Yeah. You brought this up. And so I often refer to this, um, metaphorically, but really kind of literally too, is like the seed stage. Um, and so sometimes we just planting the seed is enough. And so where that might link into sobriety or alcohol is maybe just identifying or, or thinking, hmm, this is feeling a little uncomfortable in my life right now. Am I willing to change? Maybe not, but I'm just going to witness and observe, you know, what my habits are or what this dynamic is, what the patterns might be. And I know for me, I was in that for quite a bit of like, hmm, this is starting to feel off kilter for me. And yet I'm not really going to make an active change just yet. And I think the seed stage is so powerful. And yet, um, personally, what I've noticed too, is there can be some shame of like, okay, this is a problem. So why am I not taking action? Well, it might be, you're just planting the seed for now. And that is a very important part of the process. Right. And, and once you plant that seed, that doesn't mean that, okay, I'm ready to bloom. It's like, no, sometimes there's incubation. Sometimes you just got to nurture it and wait for it to blossom. Sometimes what you planted is bamboo and other times it's not. Other times <laughs> it dies. You plant a seed and it just dies. And that's part of part of the process too. But that seed, I, I just think that seed stage is so important because we live in this culture where it's like, go, 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 do, 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 do. Everything is up front, everything's forward facing, everything's so visual. And sometimes planting that seed is like, okay, we're going to plant it. And it might take root two years from now or four years from now, but yet it's there. Right. So I, I want to get back to the autonomy part of this and, and the, the explanation that I heard that I thought would really helped. It was very helpful. And it says, your highest order desires must align with your lowest order desires. Simply your highest order desires are things you want to do. Second order desires are things you want to want to do. And if you know this from going through uh, the assessment process, the 28 day resolve is that I ask you, you know, what are your values? What are your wants? And what are your ideals? So that's the want you want. What do you want to want? And the example that they gave was simply your highest. Okay. Example, if I have a first order desire to wear a hat and in reflection, I want to have that desire. My choice is autonomous. So you want to wear the hat because you just want to wear the hat. So you wear the hat. So that's an autonomous choice. Whereas if you want, if you want to wear the hat, that's your first desire, but you're wearing it because it's kind of the trend. Like people say you're cool if you wear a hat. And so you're wearing the hat, but you really don't want to wear the hat, but, but you'll wear the hat so you can, because you want to be cool, then that's not an autonomous decision, right? Mm -hmm. So I equate that with the drinking, with the drinking clubs that we have now. And that's the sober clubs. And that's where you go into it and they say, you don't have to stop drinking. And you're like, finally, I found a place where they say, I don't have to stop drinking. And 
But you soon find out that that's really kind of the gold standard is if you abstinence is the bomb diggity. And if you everybody wants to be in that in group, right? Everybody wants to have that sense of achievement that I got 30 days. Yay. Or a hundred or two years or five years or 10 years, almost as if somebody with more time is elevated in status. Right. Like I got 20 years. Well, and how does that help you? Well, and, and I know for, for me, I always look at, you know, not, not the length of time or, or not necessarily status. We can even look at, I go in and see my physician, right? So there's status there. This is my doctor. But I really look to see, does this person look happy? I can, you know, kind of read energy. I think I can read energy. So it's like, does this person emanate happiness? Do they look well? Do they look like they're enjoying life? For me, that's something that I want and desire. Um, and so some, somebody might have 20 years, but if I sit down with them, you know, are they happy? Yeah. And if you go to a, 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 I am not, I don't want to, my intention is not to degrade Alcoholics Anonymous, but if you go to an AA meeting, your chances are really good. You're going to hear somebody say, I have 15 years by the grace of God, but I, I struggle all the time. I have never struggled to not drink. And it's not because I can't. And it's not because I'm afraid of some weird disease or some something out in the parking lot getting stronger doing push-ups. It's because I don't want to. I just have no desire to. And that's- what a concept. I've never heard. I can't believe I've never heard someone other than you say, listen, I've been sober for almost 20 years and I've never struggled. And I, and I don't have to struggle. Like, what? What? But that's not what culture and society tells us. Right. But, but tell me about that, because I know you said you've never struggled. And yet you've also said you deal with some really difficult feelings from time to time. So is that not struggle or, or is that just drink though? I don't want to drink. Never, ever have I ever thought, oh, drinking would make me feel better. I maybe I'll have a drink so I don't have to feel this. Never, ever have I ever thought alcohol would be the answer or could be an answer. Yeah. So it's just. You know, you could either look at it as one, I, I have blinders on, so I say alcohol is not an option. Maybe that's what it is. But I can tell you with my hand to heart and, and one hand on heart, one heart, one hand to heaven is that I have never, ever struggled with, I sure wish I could have a drink ever in the 20 years. Man, uh, you're just such a rebel. <laughs> you are a rebel. I love it. It's just revolutionary to, to hear that. <laughs> I'm an explorer. And you can You're achieve You can achieve that. And, and, and the thing is, is you have to be willing not to listen to everybody else's voices and listen to your own. And that's where true autonomy, alcohol autonomy comes from, is when you get to the place of you don't want to drink, not because you can't or that it's bad or that you shame yourself, but because you have other things better to do with your life. Yeah. And you have been cultivating, massaging, entertaining this habit of alcohol for decades. What makes you think, what makes anybody think that they can just turn off the light 
and be done with it. When they have a whole bunch of people in this world, millions of people telling you, you can't. It's crazy. And I just had that experience recently. I, um, last weekend I texted you, I went to my, uh, husband's, uh, coworker. He went to, you know, he had a, a party with, for work at someone's house. And I was like, you know, I just don't feel like drinking. I don't want to drink at this. Um, but yet I know it's going to be there. Um, and again, for the listener, I drink time to time. So it's not as if, you know, I, I I'm, um, alcohol free for a, a period of time, but I texted you and I said, listen, I'm going to my husband's co-working event and I don't need this. I don't want it. I'm going to get up early for yoga the next day. I'm meeting new people. And sometimes if I have a couple of drinks, I can get kind of silly. This is my husband's, you know, um, work party. And so I went there with my Yeti full of uh, tea. And so I I had a good time. But I think for a couple of people, I think it made them uncomfortable. Like, okay, can I get you a drink? Can I get you a drink? Um, and I said, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. So I had a, a good time. And then I was ready to go at a period. You know, I can see kind of when things kind of flipped about nine o'clock and people were drinking a little bit more and it started to get a little bit more rowdy, which is totally fine. But I was getting tired. So I kind of elbowed um, my husband to say, hey, it's time to go. Well, are you sure? Are you sure? Can I have one more? I'm like, no, I want to go to bed. My priority right now is to read a book and go to bed. Um, and I just love having those experiences because it's, for me, it, while it's not revolutionary, it really is empowering to remind myself of like, I can go to these things and I can hang and have a good time. And then I'm fully mindful of when my body's starting to feel tired and it's time for me to leave. Um, so for me, that's autonomy of being able to choose. That's exactly what autonomy is. You made the choice. You didn't do it. And, and what, what did I say when I was just looking for the text when I text you back? Never did I say, you can do this or you got this. Because yes. it doesn't matter. It doesn't fucking matter what I say or whether you drink or not. It's how so supportive. Okay. It's I'm, I'm, I'm finding your text. Okay, by the way, before we get to the text on, on last Friday night, I also loved your text for the listener. I woke up on Saturday and found, I swear to God, 500 new gray hairs on my head. And I texted Teresa a picture. I said, holy shit, where did this come from? And I love that you said, bless your heart. You have strands of fairy tinsel. Will you resist or embrace? And I just love that. That to me was so powerful of... Oh my God, I have the choice to embrace these a hundred strands of gray hair that showed up overnight. Um, <laughs> so it really just made me pause for a moment. I love it. Okay. So when it comes to Friday night, you said, I'm so excited for you to have this intentional, sober minded experience. Notice what you notice. Celebrate being in charge of your choices. No shame, only kindness and curiosity. And I loved that support. It wasn't like, hell yeah, you can go through this with no drinking. It was just notice what you notice. Yeah. Be kind because to yourself. What I didn't want is, is, A, I don't want you not drinking because I told you not to drink or I think that that's a better choice because I will love you the same whether you drink or not drink. And I want you to love you the same whether you drink or not drink. Wow. Yeah, that is so powerful. That is so powerful. I still have programming for the listener and and to share with you, Teresa, I still have programming. When I drink, I wake up the next morning and it's like automatic guilt. 
even if it wasn't, you know, it's just, and so I'm really working on, okay, that's there, but that's just programming. And listen, I'm waking up to this beautiful day with my three dogs and my lovely family. And I can, I get to be alive and I get to choose how I want to live today. It's hard. That programming is still wired in me. And so I realize that's outdated programming and just to be aware of like, okay, am I going to learn from this experience? And how do I want to, how do I want to um, show up today? Yeah. How do I want to feel about this experience? Right? Because you have the ability to choose how you frame that. Absolutely. That's wild in of itself. Not only is it a choice if I drink or not a drink, but then it's a choice of how do I want to frame that experience? Mm-hmm. Remember, sober reframe was another choice that we, another contender for the name of our podcast was to, because I want people to just be open to a fresh perspective to possibly what if everything that they know is not the whole truth and that they can choose for themselves what their truth is. Awesome. And that's part of autonomy is returning to this concept of like, I have a choice. Not only are my, my behaviors a choice, which sometimes behaviors are habits. So they're very automatic. Um, just to return to center and realize my behaviors are a choice, but also my thinking is a choice. And that is really powerful. The way I think is a choice, which is crazy. Cause I, I, you know, I, a lot of us might have um, anxious thoughts, scary thoughts, obsessive thoughts, and it can feel like we don't have control over it. Right. And a lot of our thoughts are programs. Like you said, it's something that, that we've, kind of been brainwashed with, or we've downloaded over and over and over again. And let's face it, the recovery movement, it's, it's a billion dollar industry. I mean, a lot of people are making a lot of money by saying that, and this isn't just quickly, I don't want to make the show about this, but they say that relapse is part of recovery. Well, okay. So can you relapse and be in a positive state of being and love yourself and, and look at it as growth and moving forward? Or does it have to be relapse? Oh, fuck, I did it again. And my clock starts over and here I go. You know, maybe I'm never going to get this. Maybe I'm always going to be hopeless. And, and it's like, so you have a choice. How do you want to move forward in this journey? And another one of our topics for the future is celebrating breakdowns. You know, I can grieve this breakdown. I can, um, this breakdown can be evidence that I'm a piece of shit or I'll never be able to get what I want, right? Or I can celebrate it as part of the growing process. Yeah. Emotionally cutting. It's the in thing to do. Boy. No, never, ever, ever. And I will love you outside. I will love you to move out of that. I will love you until you love yourself enough that you stop cutting yourself emotionally. Emotionally being so hard on ourselves. So tell me more about autonomy. What does this autonomy mean to you? Autonomy. I I think I've been pretty clear about that. What it means to me, it's, it's aligning my wants with my actions, with my choices, knowing that, and I always double check. And I think, I think more importantly, what it means to me, because I've already shared quite a bit what it means to me is having that that freedom of choice and and uh autonomy was also part of the explorer personality and by the way i don't take tests and say oh that's who i am i am way bigger than any test could ever nail me down so 
Just use <laughs> nothing can nail you down. No, no, I am always moving, always growing, yeah. always changing, always evolving. So, what I want to instead of talk any more about myself is how you can put this to action for you. What can you do to start regain to start regaining your autonomy if you've ever had autonomy? Because let's face it, you know, a lot of us were influenced by our parents. We were told how to think. We were told what we're supposed to believe about things. We were told by society what alcohol means. And if you can't stop on a dime, we're labeled stuck in a box and put on a conveyor belt through, through recovery. So how do you gain that autonomy? And it's really understanding what your values are. What do you, what matters to you most? Your values. I, and sorry if I'm going to jump in right here, but for me, autonomy is so linked to intuition. So it might just be a different, a different word. Um, no, it's, but, a part of it. it's part of it. It's instinctively knowing when something yes. feels right within you and when something doesn't. And that's where you have to really kind of hone in. You know, I, I said what you thought aligns with what you do is autonomy. But it's also when your heart and your head is connected and moving in the same direction. Because a lot of times our heart will say, I want one thing. But our head says, our head is usually full of other people's voices, says, you shouldn't do that. Yes. Tracy, you're a Christian. You shouldn't be walk, moonwalking and taking moon baths and worshiping the moon. Is there anything Damn. more Christian to do than just be in awe of our world? Depends on which Christian you're talking to, but traditionally, no. <laughs> if, if, if someone's telling you how to be a Christian, but what if you get to decide this is what being a Christian is? That's and, who and you so are. I don't even typically identify as a Christian necessarily, but I do follow the teachings of Christ. I love mm -hmm. Jesus. I'm a buddy, my best friend. I think he's a pretty stand-up guy. Um, but really getting clear about what your wants, needs, and desires are. Really understanding what, what you stand for. And those are those values. And you need to do that on an instinctual level. You can't do that by, oh, well, this sounds good. This sounds right. How many times? Okay, this is a really good example. You went through the assessment process where I asked you what your driving values were and your feelings and your ideals and needs. And then remember on the third assessment where it says in your greatest experience, your greatest time or something like that, tell me what values were present. And those values did not align with the values that you had selected. That's right. No is that pretty common? And for the listener, this is when I went through Teresa's coaching process. Is that pretty common then when the values? Okay. Yeah. Okay. And it's not a bad thing. No. It's, a, it's a hell of an opportunity to say, hey, I just learned something about myself. And this is truly what drives me. But we can't just ask you the question and you go right to the answer. A lot of times it's, it's that, that movement through information where we find the gold. And so to tell, ask somebody to make an autonomous decision or be autonomous and they've been conditioned their entire life to think a certain way, it's asking too much. It's asking but a to, lot. It's asking, you know, but to ask somebody to get still and start reflecting on why did I make that choice? Why well, am I doing I can, that? Yeah. And if I can share a story, this reminds me of... Uh, 
one of the best experiences of my life. I think I probably shared it during our coaching together was um, giving birth to my son. And so the whole pregnancy, you know, I, I was pregnant, um, but the, that whole process was a really uh, empowering experience for me in that I decided I was going to have him outside of a hospital setting. Um, and again, this is for healthy pregnancy, but I picked a midwifery center. The midwives were present. I never saw a physician once during my pregnancy. And that was really important to me to feel like I had um, power autonomy over my body, over mm -hmm. my experience. And then I just to intuitively do what was best for me and my son. Um, and so I ended up having the most amazing birthing experience. I gave birth to him in a, in a tub. You know, it was peaceful. It was fucking awesome. And yet what I had to do was block out every time I would walk somewhere in public, people would say, oh my gosh, when are you due? I need to tell you about my horrible birthing experience. You know, it's almost like when you're pregnant, people feel like they can come up to you and share their experience. And so I, I literally had to uh, do meditation, meditation in, in a way to brainwash or recondition myself that like, I was tuning out of all this negativity that was in the atmosphere. People said, you're crazy. There's no way you, you know, you'll need to be in the hospital. What if something goes wrong? What if you're in too much pain? Um, I literally had to tune that out and open up to the fact that this is a natural process that all of my ancestors have given birth, you know, and that I could do it and I fucking did it. So talk about autonomy and empowerment. But it was a really clear decision of not listening to all the naysayers and not buying into the fact that birth has to be difficult, horrific, painful, terrifying. It can be so liberating you, and amazing. How did you make that decision? I made a clear cut decision. I signed up for the midwifery center. And actually, when you give birth there, it's not an option. Um, so it's like you're literally there's no, you know, there's no, um, uh, you know, there's, there's only the option to give birth naturally. Now it's right next to a hospital. It was a couple fights with my spouse at the part uh, at the time. Cause he said, well, what if we need to be in the hospital? I actually had to pay extra to give birth outside of the hospital. Um, even though the cesarean rate inside the hospital is something like 33%. And if you give birth outside the hospital, I think the cesarean rate's like 1% if you have to transfer. So even though, you know, um, I, I really had to advocate for myself, I tuned inward and got the support I needed externally. And then 75% of the work was tuning out of what people were saying. 25% of the work, I would say, is tuning inward into myself and then opening up to the support of midwives and, um, you know, going through different birthing classes. So I'd be curious, and I think we want to kind of wrap this up here real quick because I don't want to go too long, but I'd be very curious as to go, what, what kind of process did you go through to identify that this is what you wanted and you wanted it enough that you made the conviction and stuck by it, even though you had the world and your husband telling you maybe you're wrong. So <laughs> I, was, I mean, so, so there was a practice, there was a process you went to, went through to, identify that that's what you wanted and that that's what you wanted so bad that it aligned with your thoughts, your heart, your mind, and your spirit. And that decision was made relatively quickly, you know, within the span of a month or two. So it's, you know, I'm always in awe of myself of how quickly I was able to make that decision and go for it versus, you know, now kind of being in the sober curious realm for, um, you know, years. 
Um, but it's interesting for me to have that experience of like, Hey, if I really fucking want something, I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You can make a a decision, a hard decision and be against the world and stick to it. That's autonomy. That's autonomy. I love it. Any, any closing thoughts you have? Um, just check out our, our, uh, Facebook page. We, it's not very populated yet, but it, it will be. Today is our launch date. Actually, today we have to put something on our pages. And we're going to on our page. We are just a bunch of rebels uh, navigating our way through it. As we go, we are not perf. I mean, we are professionals, but you know, we're not, we're not professional at this. We are just figuring out as we go and trying to have fun in the process. What's our introduction? Something like we're just two two gals, two spirits trying to find our way, trying to make it the way for others to be easier by our lessons, something of that sort. I think I'm I'm definitely ad living there, but uh that I know that's my heart is to help others find some freedom and not do not suffer as much as as possible. Uh, and well, so, and for the listeners to share with us too, you know, comment uh, here. When is a time that you felt very autonomous? When was a time you maybe went against the grain to do something that was best for you, where you had this knowing or this inspiration of, um, this is what I want and I'm going after it. Yeah, and we'd love to hear from you. Any, any give us any love, even if it's just to say hi. I heard you. Thanks for the show. It's awesome. Can't wait to hear more stuff. <laughs> Give awesome. us some more. Yeah. All, All right. right. Well, thanks for joining us. We're so, so nonsense. And we are out. Bye.